Running a business comes with pressure. Remote workforces, HR compliance, retaining top talent. You start to feel boxed in. Fortunately, there's Insperity. They put 30-plus years of HR service and technology to work, offering my employees competitive benefit options while lightening my HR load. Instead of obstacles, I'm surrounded by people empowered to be their best. With Insperity, nothing seems impossible. Insperity, HR that makes a difference. Just when I finish my to-do list... We need more chips, Mom! Honey, I need a lot of chicken. Something else comes up. That's when I use Instacart to help get everything we need from BJ's Wholesale Club, delivered right to our door in as fast as one hour. And then finally, I can relax. Mom, I think we're out of toilet paper. Time for another BJ's order. Download the Instacart app or visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first order. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Hey, hey, audio listeners, just want to let you guys know you have not been intentionally neglected. Um, I know we went a month, didn't upload, it seemed, and then dumped a bunch of episodes and then went uh, a couple of weeks again. Um, So the first time we had internet issues, so I apologize. The internet's been fixed for the most part. We're still working out a few kinks. Um, But lately what we've been doing is we're running into memory issues, these... uh, these two-hour live streams when downloaded take up, uh, the backups take up a lot of room. And we're working on getting some mem- bigger memory banks. In the meantime, if you want to catch the show on a more regular basis, you can head to the YouTube channel, Course Correction Radio. I uh, believe a link is normally in the description of the show notes. And um, you can catch us live at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, which should be 4 p.m. Central and 2 p.m. Pacific. Um, and then there's a couple other time frames that, honestly, I'm not good on. But that, so you head over to the YouTube channel. Those are when you can catch the show live, and hopefully the kinks from here will be worked out. But I'm going to shut up now and let you get to the meat of this episode. And, by the way, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, if you will leave a review, it helps out a whole lot. Um you know, if you enjoy it, we just ask that you give us the maximum amount capable on the review as far as stars go. I believe on Apple that should be a five star. Um, but yeah, guys, thank you guys so much. God bless all of you, and we'll get to the episode now.
Hey guys, if you will, head over to CourseCorrectionRadio.com. That is the sponsor of today's segment. You can head over to www.CourseCorrectionRadio.com. There, once you get there, you will find tons of our articles, find our podcasts, our blogs, our news articles, everything as you can see it on the screen. We have even have this segment that you're currently watching, 33-3 News. Everything you need is right over at CourseCorrectionRadio.com. In today's world of censorship, it is so crucial that you be able to get the stuff you need from us. And if we ever disappear off of platforms like YouTube, you'll know exactly where to find us. And that is at CourseCorrectionRadio.com. true then our country is in a lot of trouble we would have these trips these special trips but he said my my daddy takes the bodies to the grocery store and he grinds them up and puts it in the hamburger and nobody ever knows it how can kids six eight ten years old be describing rituals that come from a book like the like the book of the dead it's hard to get your mind around people being capable of this kind of evil Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome back to CCR Weekly. My name is Trey Harris, and as always, thank you for joining me this evening. So, as I said in the chat, we are experiencing an ice storm here. So, there uh, could be some buffering, so bear with me. And um, they're calling for power outages, so there's a very good chance that we could... Uh, lose power while we're doing this. So let's get right into it. Um, and as uh, always, I just want to cover uh, some of the things that are going on in the news and very well a topic that could feed right back in to what we're going to talk about um, because we are going to continue where we left off in the book of Galatians. So without any further ado, let's get right into this. By the way, um, as you can see, we played two ads for the show today, one being from CourseCorrectionRadio.com. If you have not already, please subscribe to the website. Um, subscription is as simple as a click of a button. There's no premium content or subscription content, um, mainly because I, I don't feel as of yet we have anything worth having a subscription for. Um, but at the same time, we just 
the main reason we want the subscription is in case YouTube ever kicks us off, we've got a place where you can find us easily, as well as all of our social media links are in the description. Also, make sure you guys check out nystv.org. You can use the promo code all cap CCR, get your first 30 days free for the premium content under the subscription network there, which is absolutely phenomenal and worth every penny. And it's a great way to support uh, the guys over there who are working very hard to not only bring you the gospel for free, might I add, you will never see them charge for that, as the Bible says, but will also they have a service that will provide uh, edification, a product that is excellent over there, and we back it 100%. Uh, it's been so beneficial for my wife and I. So please check that out. You can get 30 days free. Try it out. See if you like it. If you don't, you don't have to continue. You can you can cancel at any time after that. So, um, yes, I noticed that last time you told me that. I just honestly have not had a chance to update that. So let me see if I can do that real quick. Um, let's see. Mm, where's it at? I believe it is right here. Let's fix this real quick. Now watch this. Let me see if I can fix this real quick, and then we'll get right into the show, I promise. So, um... Awesome. And come on now, slide. All right, that should have fixed it, but we'll see how it goes. All right, so let's get right into our first story over here. And I just want to say hey to everybody in the chat. Mercy on us, Catherine Elaine, Patsy Luna. Welcome everybody. Um, I uh, I hope you that you find what we're going to talk about today um, a blessing because we've got a lot to talk about. So first, let's get into this. Um, and this is this is our first thing we're going to talk about. If I can get it to switch over over here. Um, so we've got an article from The Blaze. FBI downplays religious connection of hostage crisis at Jewish synagogue. If you haven't heard, there was a hostage crisis, um, I believe, yesterday at a synagogue in Texas. And uh, nobody was hurt except for the um, the offender was killed. Um, but um, this article I find interesting because it's kind of going to tie into what we're going to talk about. So FBI downplays religious connection at hostage crisis at Jewish synagogue. It does not end well. So um, it says the FBI and Associated Press were slammed Saturday over a bizarre tweet from the AP addressing the hostage situation at the congregation Beth Israel Synagogue in da the Dallas-Fort Worth area on Saturday. What did the FBI say? After law enforcement announced the hostage taker's death, the FBI seemingly downplayed the religious aspect of the crime. And this is what it says. It says, breaking man. 
uh, breaking, uh, the tweet says, uh, man who held hostage inside a Texas synagogue is dead, law enforcement says. But this, watch this. The FBI says the Texas synagogue hostage takers' demands were specifically focused on issue not connected to the Jewish community. And let's click here so we can read more. Um, so... And you can see here are the tweets. If you're watching this on the video podcast, if you're listening to this on Shake and Wake Radio, um, you can find, uh, I'll, I'll make sure to link the article um, in our YouTube channel. You can head over there if you want to read it. But it's from theblaze.com. And there are tweets from the Associated Press that, that say these, um, specifically focused on the issue, not the Jewish community, um, which I'm not interested in that part of it. I'm interested in the gaslighting that is going on because last week, um, because Biden also came out and said that this was an act of terror and, you know, something about anti-Semitism and things like that. I found that fascinating just given the fact that last year when there was issues between um, Israel and the neighboring countries, everybody was uh, throwing out uh, anti-Semitic slurs and beating up Jewish people and things like this. I find this aspect of it fascinating, the way the tables flip one day after the other. It's just like the narrative about the virus right now. Every day is something different, and you never know what you're going to find. That's why it's so important that you and I, as believers, we stay anchored in the Word of God. So, um, you know, they're, they're, there's just... You, you cannot make this stuff up. This is what was the reaction. The AP tweet immediately generated backlash for amplifying what DeSarno said. Critics questioned how law enforcement officials could arrive to such a conclusion when the investigation into the incident was in the earliest stages. Others abruptly fact-checked the AP's tweet. In fact, despite attempts to downplay the religious aspect of the incident, the hostage-taker chose a synagogue on Sabbath where Jews were gathered, and he allegedly demanded the release of a convicted terrorist known for being an adamant anti-Semite. And so this is what you're going to get from... And by the way, I consider Blaze um, borderline mainstream news because you're going to get some of the same talking points. You're just looking at the conservatives' answer to mainstream news. Um, this is this is one of those ways, kind of what Dan and I were talking about last week on uh, on the, the report we did about uh, Donald Trump. They're looking for a way to wrangle everybody together, and they're going to do that through subscription platforms, through alt media for the conservative side. Uh, they're doing it through Getter right now, which is actually not a free speech alternative to Twitter. Um, what they're doing, they're going to do it with Trump's platforms. They're going to wrangle everybody together. That's, that's, that's what they're trying to do. And these are the ways they're going to do it. They're going to gaslight you through stories like this that cause division. And we're going to look at how they've been doing this for a really long time. So um, here is the second part of that. And of course, um, this is not even uh, an American news site. If you go over to uh, Russia today, if it'll load, um, like I said, bear with me, guys, we are... I mean, it was coming down earlier, so the internet is um, a little bit slower than normal, but also the graphics that I run in the background with the background take up a lot of uh, 
I mean, right now, live streaming and between that, and it's using 44% of my uh, central processing unit. So um, you're going to get some stuff like that. So it says FBI identifies Texas synagogue hostage taker. The FBI has identified the man who took four people hostage at a Texas synagogue on Saturday as Malik Faisal Akram, a 44-year-old British citizen. In a Sunday statement, authorities said they were are continuing to investigate but do not believe other individuals beyond Akram were involved. The FBI says its evidence response team is still processing the scene at the Colleyville, Texas synagogue where the FBI's shooting incident review team will conduct a, quote, thorough, factual, and objective investigation of the events. I'm not going to lie. That part when I read this originally made me laugh really hard talking about the FBI doing something thorough and factual <laughs> That's a good one. Um, the hostage situation ended with the death of Akram after police entered the synagogue following hours of negotiations. Multiple U.S. media outlets speculated on Saturday that Akram was the brother of Aifa Siddiqui, a Pakistani neuroscientist, charged in 2010 with the attempting to murder U.S. soldiers and FBI agents overseas. Siddiqui is currently serving an 86-year sentence in the U.S., and Akram was reportedly negotiating for her release referring to her as sister now the article goes on to basically discuss how um there actually is no connection there officially now once again what i find interesting is if you've if you've listened to uh the past few episodes of CCR Weekly, we've talked about um, the plans for the Third World War according to the Freemasons, and what they want to do is pitch the Zionists against the Muslims. And they want to destroy Jerusalem and thereby wreck Zionist Christianity um, and usher in. They But they want to destroy Christianity, and they want to destroy um, uh, atheism at the same time. And they want to bring in what Albert Pike called the true religion of Lucifer. Now, this is how they're going to do it. They're going to do things where they gaslight through division, like I said. And they're doing it in the Christian church, too. Uh, we're going to look at some of that later on. Um, but that's why. That's why they brought this stuff into the church. You look at, um, at Zionism and uh, dispensationalism. Those are the two most prominent uh, religious views in the United States right now. Everybody wants to support Israel because you know what they say. You bless Israel, you'll be blessed. If you curse it, you'll be cursed. What we have to ask ourselves, though, is why would God want us to bless a secular state that spits on him? Because that's what they do. Um, the Bible, we talked about this last week. The Bible makes it very clear if you deny that Jesus is come in the flesh and Jesus, there, there's a little nuance to that. People will try to work around that. But uh, you have to understand the, the, the apostle John was talking about if you deny that Jesus, who is God, is come in the flesh, you are antichrist. Um, and so why would God want us to bless an antichrist government? No, what God wants us to do is bless his people and we will be blessed. And if you curse his people, the people under his covenant, you will be cursed. Now that's everybody else. 
talking about the true remnant of God. That is a dangerous thing. And here's the thing. God wants everybody, regardless of where they're from, to be a part of his remnant. And, uh, you know, in, I believe it was in First Peter. Um, and we just talked about this. We literally quoted this verse on an episode of 33.3 News that came out earlier today. It says, it is his will that none should perish, but that all, doesn't specify all is all, that all come to repentance. So um, there is... There is, when you understand who Israel truly is, and if you don't, read Romans 9 through 11, read Galatians chapter 3, which we'll probably get into in like two months from now at the pace we're going. But we're going to talk about this. We talked about it a little bit last week. Galatians says, if you are, if you are in Christ, then you are the uh, seed of Abraham and heirs according to the promise. Paul says it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Greek, but that's what the media wants you to believe. That's what the apostate church wants you to believe. That's what the Zionist wants you to believe. But the fact of the matter is it is a lie. And that will bring us to what we're going to talk about today. Not going to do a whole lot of news, and I'm trying to get this episode done, honestly, as quickly as possible and be as efficient as possible because I have no idea with this freeze coming and the ice outside how long I'm going to have power. So let me in this mountain of books that I have. I mean, if you look in this room, there's nothing but books everywhere. So let's check this out. So let's go over to Galatians. If you have a Bible, turn in it with me. Um, I just do not have the CPU power to pull up the Bible on the screen, so forgive me there. Um, and I'll put this back on my, my purdy face over here. Um, and this is what it says. Galatians chapter 1, and we're just doing verses 6 and 7 today. So, um, you know, verse 8 needs to be its own topic, um, as does 6 and 7. I kind of want to handle these in ideas that Paul is presenting. Um, so let's see. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, and Paul says this, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ uh, unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be... Some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. So Paul says, Paul literally, and if you remember what we talked about last week, we set up Paul's thesis, right? You know, Paul talked about how, you know, grace and peace um, from God the Father, from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. That is... That is the true gospel. That's why he said there is another gospel, but it's actually not another because when you examine the true gospel and what that means, you'll understand that there can be no other good news except the good news of Christ. Now, now here's what's interesting about that, and I actually may have to run over there real quick and grab it because, like I said, I got books everywhere, everywhere. And this is kind of what... What he gets into. So uh, the first thing I have written in my notes are the two another's because if and and if you're an English Bible only person, you'll you'll glean the general idea. So there's not really a problem there. 
However, Paul uses two different words for another there. Now, technically, they can be used interchangeably according to the way that they work in the New Testament. They say the New Testament is one of the hardest places to understand the difference between heteros, which is the first another, and um, I can't believe I forgot the word. The, the first one is, like I said, heteros, and um, you have, that's because I didn't go back far enough, You have uh, heteros, the first one. Forgive me, guys. My brain's not making the connections I want them to. And then you have alos, which is the second. Now, let me grab, let me grab my um, my first uh, volume one of the theological dictionary of the New Testament. Give me just a second. This is literally, I only need this for one word. And the rest of what we're going to be talking about is going to be coming out of volume two of the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament. So, what's up everybody in the chat? Let's see, uh, Lariva, I see that you're in there. Hello, welcome. Good to see you. Um, Greg, good to see you in there as well. Welcome. Um, Y'all are... Uh, just in time. We're just now getting into the meat of it. I have no long how how long you guys have been there because I haven't looked, to be honest. So anyway, let's go over here. We're gonna go. We're gonna start in volume two of the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament, and on page what is it, seven hundred and something. Um, on page seven hundred and two. This is what it says about the word heteros. It says it's an indefinite number. Heteros denotes the new member of a series distinct from those which preceded and either carrying the series forward. Um, so imagine heteros, if you will, as there's a pattern. And the pattern has been broken by the introduction of something that isn't in sequence with the rest. And this is what Paul meant by another gospel you 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 cannot um now that's not always that's kind of the meaning there so i don't i'm not sure i'm not enough of a greek scholar to understand why greek scholars say they can be used interchangeably um but you know when i look at that as in it's a you know you can see the gospel and we're going to kind of look at the way the gospels have the gospel from the beginning has been slightly broken up and perverted by the agents of satan you know the, the you know the parable of the wheat and the tares we're going to get into that a little bit so but it goes on and because what i love about the theological dictionary of the new testament is it gives you now if you have a strong's concordance really and truly that's kind of all you need um i just i love this because there's so much there's so much nuance that can bring clarity if you're familiar with the greek language a little bit and so it says um 
It says, the idea of otherness, which occurs in so many forms, is central to the New Testament as the story of the fulfillment of the promise of God. The new, which has come in Jesus Christ, is something quite different from what proceeded to the degree that it excludes everything else as a way of salvation. There is no other God but one, 1 Corinthians 8, 4, and there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby they may be saved. Uh, but the name of Jesus Christ, Acts 4.12, this is why the message of the gospel demands decision. So uh, what's interesting here is um, if you look, and the, I, I love this part. It actually quotes the passage in Galatians we're going to talk about. And this is what it says. Um, Galatians 1.6, Thalmatso hati metatheste, or metatitheste, ace Eteron, Euangelion, Ha, Uk, Estin, Aulo, which is, you know, he has called you, you have fallen away to another gospel, which is not another. That's the word Alos, or Allah. We're going to look at that next. But it says, is to be taken the same way. The expression, you have fallen away to another gospel, which is what we just read in the Greek there, which is hardly a slogan of his opponents, but which Paul lets slip in his agitation is revoked at once by the apostle. There is no other gospel. There is only the one gospel of justification by Christ in faith. Thus, the teaching of the Judaizers is not another gospel, let alone a better. It is no gospel at all. Also see Second Corinthians 11, 4 which we talked about last week, and the false headship that you put yourself under when you fall away from the true gospel and fall away from the doctrine of Christ. If you're watching this and you're not under the doctrine of Christ, but you're under either Messianic Judaism or you're under uh, dispensationalist theology, you are under a false headship and you're not under the true gospel. You need to know that because it's important that you repent because Jesus Christ said uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, not everybody who says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. He also says that narrow is the way that leads unto life, but broad is the road that leadeth unto destruction. Anything other than the gospel of Jesus Christ and his doctrine will lead you straight to hell. You don't get to pass go. You don't get to collect $200. No, you're just going to be in an eternal torment and separation from your creator. And that is what the good news of Jesus Christ is, is he brings that gap. He overpassed our sin. He gave us a way to reconciliation that we may be one with the Father. Again, John chapter 17, he says that I pray that they, his followers, be one as you and I are one. There is that restoration, that unity that can only be found in Christ. And if you are under a false headship, you're not a part of it, but you can be. You can be. God is so gracious, and all you have to do is submit to the true power and authority of Jesus Christ, his doctrine, which are his teachings, anything in the red letters. Pay attention to that because that is your key to life. John eight fifty two. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, if a man keep my saying, he shall not see death. So that is, that is the gospel in its true sense. There is no other gospel. There is one gospel. It was new. It it seemed to, uh, at least according to some, to break a pattern. I would argue that it did not, but it was the true pattern fully realized, which is why it was so easy. If you did not realize the full pattern, you would fall away to what seemed to be another gospel, but wasn't. Now, 
Let's head over here, and we're going to check out our, our handy-dandy uh, volume one. And what page did I have this written on? This is... It's clear to you that de-icing the wings will not be done in a jiffy. You look for phone outlets, but see none. Only photos of phone outlets. A voice announces your gate is now 39C-12B-9A. It's like musical chairs, if musical chairs made you sob in the pet relief area. A child picking his nose stares. His parents have abandoned him. The airport will raise him now. Don't let flight delays ruin your vacation. Go on a real vacation. GoRVing.com. Page is 264 through 265. Now, here's the interesting thing about it is if you check out these words, uh, some of these words in these books have entries that are like 30 pages because what they'll do is they'll give you the word, how it relates to a Hebrew word. They'll tell you how that changed from the Old Testament to the rabbinic thought, and then they'll give you what it meant in classic Greek and what it means in the New Testament. So there's tons of nuance. It's absolutely incredible. But that's why I say if you know you're not if you're not big on you know the Greek language and you just want to know the bare bones. The bare bones is really all you need because if you're not firm in your faith, nuance can drive you crazy. Too much information can be bad information if you're not grounded in the doctrine of Christ, plain and simple. So let's head over here, page 264 through 265. Um, and, you know, I do want to answer because you never know if a naysayer might come up or somebody that legitimately wants to know if too much information can be bad information. Why are you giving it? Because the information that is in the church is so bad that we actually have to dig a little deeper to find the truth. And that means going back and understanding what the people who read this. A lot of these people would have understood the classic Greek and uh, understandings of these words because they were, uh, they were in places. You can read the life and times of Jesus the Messiah. And one of the things you'll understand that even in Judaism at the time, Epicurean and Stoic thought was endowed in hell. Um, you can look at people like Philo, who was a Jewish philosopher. Philo was steeped in several different types of Greek philosophy, which were written in classical Greek. So uh, those that were learned would have known, and even those who came out of paganism would have most likely known, because they would have been steeped into these philosophical thoughts as well. So, um, and this is what it says about, about Alos. Now, it says Alos is often used, uh, so it says, it, even in the ancient Greek, it is very difficult to make a clear distinction between ha-heteros, the other where there are two, and Alos, another where there are many. Since the latter shades into the former and the former into the latter, uh, in the Koine and the New Testament, this, dis this kind of distinction becomes quite impossible. Both words deny identity. Neither Hebrew nor Aramaic has more than one word for other. It is never found in the genuine uh, mark, which they mean by that. I, I, I totally disagree with that. That is one negative I have found about these is these are all like 19th century scholars and above. So they disagree with the long ending of Mark, which I think takes away the power of the gospel. If you deny the long ending of Mark, you're denying the power that Jesus gave to his followers to preach the gospel, heal the sick, and proclaim deliverance. Um, 
I just I have to throw that in there because there are so many that would consider themselves theologically conservative that say, well, th- th- it doesn't need to be there, the long ending of Mark, and, and that's okay. No, it's not because that's where Jesus told us to heal the sick, cast out the demons, which we read last week, which pointed back to the fact that even the devils are subject to the authority of Christ. But when you deny that and you say that doesn't belong there, you've taken away your victory over the dark realm and over over sin, which doesn't surprise me because guess what? The most prominent evangelical denomination is, right? You got it, Reformed theology and Calvinism, which denies that you even have a choice in your own salvation. What kind of sense does that make? And, they'll, and here's what they'll say. They'll say, if you say that you have a choice, you're putting yourself on a pedestal and, and worshiping yourself because you're taking that power away from God. No, we just, we're not wooden in our theology is all. We understand that God gives us choices. He is foreordained, and we have to decide whether or not we are going to submit to the will of God. I'm getting away from myself. Um, but, you know, it goes on to say this. It says, Alas is often used where only two are in question. And so, um, like I said, when you look at uh, it, says, Alas and Heteros are used interchangeably with no recognizable difference. Like I said, just based on me, if Alas is used where there's only two, which is why if you look at, um, if you look at Heteros there, another gospel, as breaking the pattern revealed all the way back to Genesis, then technically there is another. But when you actually examine it between this gospel and the false gospel, it's not another at all because there's only one true way to have this good news proclaimed. Hey, good news, you can be saved if you submit to this painful rite of, Jew- of Judaism if you're a man and, um, and you have to follow the whole law of Moses, which by the way, in, in, in their thought also cons- uh, consisted of the ceremonial law, which we know even then in Paul's day was already starting to wax old, the book of Hebrews tells us. Um, you know, Jesus, uh, you know, Genesis 49 is very clear. Genesis 49, Jacob gave a blessing over Judah, and he said, The scepter now shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver, the Levite, from between his feet until Shiloh come. Shiloh was where the tabernacle was originally put, and it was a a a foreshadowing of Christ in the fact that the word became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us till Shiloh a.k.a. Jesus, come and all will be gathered unto him because he was the one who was after the order of Melchizedek, uh, Psalm and Hebrews tells us. So we can know that once Jesus came on the scene, the age of the old and the not fully revealed started to wax and the new came in. Now, that doesn't mean that the law of Moses is gone. That's where the church screws it up. See, this is what I was talking about is um, Messianic Judaism and evangelicalism, um, the modern evangelical church, both get it wrong because one says you have to keep the entirety of the law of Moses with dual covenant theology, and the other says, no, you don't have to keep any of the law of Moses. You're a Gentile. You're a new creature. All of that's bad. It's done away with, and the fact of the matter is is that, no, there's a straight and narrow between both ditches, and you have to keep the law of God. You have 
have to, um, not to be saved, but you owe that to God, and that's where your sanctification lies. It's not so much that you have to do it or else. It's that you have to do it if you truly love him. You feel a desire. It's almost like, you know, it's like, ugh, there's there's the thing of, ugh, do I have to do this? It's not that. It's this, I, I, I have to, like, what, if you're married, you have to keep your marriage vows, not because— not because you don't have the ability to do anything else. You actually do. But you have to honor that person because you made them a promise. And you want to keep that promise. And that's what the Ten Commandments are. They're our promise to God. And God says, uh, my promise to you is if you do these and you live in them, you will be blessed. So um, both both ditches kind of get that wrong. Now, when you look at these two words, um, he... He basically, what Paul says is, and have been called away to a heteros, a different in a sequence of events gospel, which is actually not a different gospel between the two of them because there's only one. We read that, you know, only one. It's Jesus or nothing. Narrow is the way that leads to life, but broad is the way that leadeth unto destruction. There's a wide gate there. That's the Oprah Winfrey religion. That is the esoteric religions that we talked about in the past few weeks that um, basically um, in Freemasonry, Freemasonry is a religion made up of all other religions, and they believe that the uniting of these ecumenical religions will usher in their new age of Horus. So um, let me know if I'm going too fast here because we got a lot to cover. Um, But these are essentially the two differences that Paul is making out here. This gospel that the Judaizers were giving, it broke the sequence of events that God had revealed through the beginning of time. Paul says that there's no good news in this because all it's doing is putting you under bondage, which he elaborates later in the book of Galatians when he compares Mount Sinai to New Jerusalem, the two mounts of God. And in one it was life and in the other was bondage. How can bondage be good news? Now understand, and this is what this is what the evangelic church will, will try to tell you. If you keep the feast of God, you're going back to the old system. You're putting yourself in bondage. And to to them, I just have to ask, what in what on God's green earth would make you think that doing what God says would put you in bondage? What makes you think that if you what makes you think that God took his people out of bondage and then put them back in bondage in the wilderness? That is one of the most idiotic, insanely stupid things I've ever heard in my life. And I stand by that. And people will be like, I can't believe that you would use the word stupid. But, I mean, that's what it is. When you understand what the word stupid actually means, it is stupid. There's nothing, there's no, I mean, I just, my mind cannot fathom it. And what makes it worse is I used to believe this, and I do not know how I used to believe this, how I could be insanely stupid. But the Bible tells us. It says the carnal mind is at enmity with God. And I have to tell you, if you are watching this and you believe that God's law is bondage, it's because you are submitting to your carnal mind. You're submitting to the things that feel good to your flesh, the 
eating of foods that God commanded not to eat, the doing of things that God commanded not to do. You are in bondage to your sin, and it is only through submitting to the doctrine of Christ that you will ever receive freedom. And yes, the law of Moses is under the doctrine of Christ, Matthew 5, 17 through 19. He said, think not that I come to destroy the law or the prophets. I come not to destroy, but to fulfill, to make fully known, to do, to be our example of how we should walk them out. John said in his second epistle, if we say we know him, we ought to walk even as he, Jesus, should or did walk. So um, there is, there, there, there's just, you're, you're only going to get, um, you're only going to get free of the things that are holding you down if you submit to the full doctrine of Christ, which by the way, to tie this in back into earlier, includes the long ending of Mark. So there are I hope that clarifies the the meanings of the two the two words because when you read it after this he said so we've got our definitions of another He said but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ Now hold on to the word pervert we're going to come back to that later but um this is this is what he goes on to say after this. Let's look at this word. Let's look at the word um, uh, gospel. That is the word euangelion. It's where we get our word evangelism, and it means to proclaim good news, essentially. Um, there's a different word for actually proclaiming the gospel, but they're very close in relation to what they say. So, and this is, once again, the um, in the second volume of the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament. This is what it says when talking about euangelion. And this is on page 721 of the second volume. And it says, um, it says this. Um, when it comes to, it says, euangelion is an adjective used um, like uh, euangelitz, I can never get this word right. I can always do it when it's not showtime. But it is euangelitsestai. It derives from euangelos. It means that which is proper to an euangelos. And it means euangelion is twofold, has a twofold sense. For those to whom a, an euangelos comes, or somebody who proclaims good news, um, it, what is proper to him is good news. But for the euangelos himself, what is proper is his reward. It is the oldest known example, um, which you can find in Homer's Odyssey. Euangelion means reward for good news. The sense of good news is attested only from the time, um, and it uh, maybe that's, um, I think that's Cicero, um, but yet both meanings are equally sound. Thus, euangelia theane is known from the time of Aristophanes, um, plainly presupposes euangelion in the sense of good news, for it means to celebrate good news by sacrifices. Euangelion is a technical term for news of victory. The messenger appears, raises his right hand in greeting, and calls out with a loud voice, Kyrie Nicomene. By his appearance, it is known already that he brings good news. His face shines, his spear is decked with laurel, his head is crowned. This is the classical Greek meaning, by the way. I should clarify that. He swings a branch of palms. Joy fills the city. Euangelia are offered 
The temples are garlanded and agon is held. So keep that in mind because that is the classical Greek understanding that um that that the 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 pagans would have understood. So um let's check this out. Let's go a little farther down. So if you come over here and this is on page um 727, and this is Euangelion in the New Testament. It says, while Mark avoids the verb completely, he favors the substantive, using it eight times, including Mark 1-1 and the non-Markan ending, which, like I said, they don't believe that that ending is uh, legitimate. I do. And I believe that, like I said, to not use it, you're taking away victory that Christ has given you. But it says, we cannot say that Luke rejects the noun since it occurs in Acts twice. All we can say is that he prefers the verb um, in respect. In this respect, Luke is more loyal to the original tradition, which is actually consistent with what scholars know about Luke is that Luke was probably um, very well aware of Greek, classical Greek, and the fact that he was a physician. Um, and, you know, in, in that time, you could not separate science from philosophy totally. Um, but in the synopsis, it says we, if we set aside the use in Mark one, one and the general saying concerning the teaching of Jesus in Mark one fourteen, Mark uses euangelion consistently in the sayings of Jesus. Big, big clue there, because that means that the gospel cannot be separated from the doctrine of Christ. To preach the gospel without the doctrine of Christ means you are not preaching the gospel. You're preaching a different gospel, a heteros gospel. And the reason that that is, is Deuteronomy 18. He's, God says, I will send a prophet likened unto thee, Moses, and if they do not listen to him, I'm paraphrasing, basically it says if they do not listen to this prophet who is Jesus, then I will require it of them. To break this consistent pattern is to go with a different gospel, a false gospel. So, um, and there here's some passages. It said, and, it, and I've got these written down in my notes. So let's let's do a little bit of comparison, shall we? Let me see if I can put that up there without it falling. Where did I put my Bible? I found it. That was silly of me. Forgive me. Um, so Mark one four, or uh, let's start here. Mark four seventeen says this, and we're just going to compare a few of these. We don't have time to compare them all, sadly, but let's just do a couple, just so we can kind of see how Mark uses the word euangelion, because we still got to recover. We still got to look at what the rabbinic meaning of it was, because it's going to feed into why. I believe the Pharisees conspired against Jesus. So Mark 4. Uh, 4.17 says this. I don't think that's right. I think I wrote that down wrong because there is no use of the gospel there. Um, that's because it's Mark one fifteen and it's Matthew four seventeen. My goodness. So Mark one fifteen. Um, 
and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye, and believe the gospel, or the euangelion. Now, notice what I find interesting in this passage is, um, now, one of the things about the Baptist movements is they do not believe. They believe if you preach repentance with the gospel, you're preaching a salvation of works, which is, quite frankly, idiotic. Um, and I don't mean that in a mean way or a disrespectful way, but it, I mean, it is the definition of idiocy because you're going against what Jesus says and they'll say, oh, well, that was for the Jews in the millennium and they're going to have to, no, that ain't the way Jesus works. Jesus does not work that way. They, uh, Jesus only, he's not a respecter of persons. So he has the same message for everybody. Um, but it's only through your, um, Scofeldian Gnosticism that you actually believe that, um, so there's that. So let's compare that. That's Ma that's Mark one fifteen with Matthew four seventeen. So he said the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. And by the way, we've got um we've got full episodes on why that is not biblical to believe that as well. And sadly, I don't remember what they are. But you can find them in our Like and Under Moses podcast series, which is on a playlist here on YouTube. You can also find it on our Brighteon playlist as well. Actually, strike that. It's not up on Brighton yet, but it will be. Um, so Matthew four seventeen says this. And from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, it's interesting. Mark literally uses the word euangelion where other people don't. Now, we're going to look at a pattern for this because they actually, the, 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 um, the, uh, the writers of, or the compilers of the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament disregard this. But let's look at the next one. The next one says, um, Matthew, uh, Mark 8.35, and this is what that says. Mark 8 and verse 35, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, euangelion, shall, the same shall save it. Now, you can compare that to Matthew 16, 25, which says this. Matthew 16 and verse 25, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Understand there is no separating what Jesus says from the gospel. They are one and the same. To preach what Jesus preached, to preach his doctrine, is to preach the gospel. They're inseparable. That is why the apostle John said, He who abideth not, and he who transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. You cannot say that you have the gospel and have been saved by the gospel if you do not submit to Jesus. It's like I said last week. How can you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ and not follow him. That's like getting in a car and you have, you don't know the way. So somebody says, just follow me there and I will show you the way to get there. But then you just get in your car and do whatever the heck you want. And somebody who also later says that I can show you the way. So let's say, let's say you come along later, but somebody wrote down their directions and put them on MapQuest, which is completely outdated. I understand that. But what MapQuest did was it gave you the directions, right? So let's say for this instance that Jesus was a, a, a guide, 
for us to get from point A to point B. And he wrote that down or had people write that down. And then along comes somebody named Paul who says, yeah, I can show you exactly what he said. He showed it to me um, upon his ascension. You know, because Paul in the book of Galatians says he went to Arabia where he learned the doctrine of Christ. He said, I, I can show you these things. But you completely misunderstand what he, Paul says because you never read what Jesus did. And now you go a completely different direction, but still say that you followed the directions that the first person wrote down. That makes no sense. And I, I understand that that was a, a very uh, convoluted explanation. But when you break it down, it makes total sense. That's like trying to say you followed. Paul followed the directions of the kingdom of God that Jesus wrote down through his disciples. But the modern church follows what Paul says and is going the opposite direction. That is the amount of insanity that we have in the church today. And we wonder why everybody calls America clown world. Well, because you've made a circus out of the church, which is supposed to be the way that teaches people the morality that God intended. But you can't do that if you're telling people that don't do that. You're going to put yourself in bondage. I mean, and then you're going to have a sore awakening one day because you're going to wake up. And if you're teaching this to people and propagating it and you have the Bible in front of you, you're without excuse. And one day there's a very good chance. I'm not saying it's for definite because only God knows your heart and intentions. But there is a very good chance that you will wake up in heaven one day at the throne judgment. Because, uh, I mean, you know, then you might not stay there very long because Jesus might look at you and say, depart from me. I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. Which is, iniquity is literally, the word there is lawlessness. It's anomia in the Greek. Um, now, now, what's interesting about that, I find it interesting that the King James translators translated that iniquity because iniquity has the, the connotations of a generational curse. It passes on, is what the Bible says. So, Imagine, imagine this, if you will. So this is this is how far we've gotten off. And then look, this is what both the um and it, look, it's not just the mainstream church. Messianic Judaism does this as well. We're go, we're not going to be a respecter of persons. We're going to look at everybody who teaches against the doctrine of Christ, and we're going to call them out. Because what they'll do is Jesus says, "Be ye not called rabbi." But what is the title of everybody that runs a messianic synagogue? Rabbi so and so. You have violated the doctrine of Christ, and therefore you are not able in your current state to tr preach the true gospel to your brothers that have, that, that have a contempt for Christ because nobody's taught them the true gospel. You're not going to get the regenerative truth of Christ in a messianic synagogue or in a Christian church. Let me, let me rephrase that. You're not going to get it in a Christian church that, that teaches these theologies. Because really, when you break it down, I mean, let's put it this way, a 501c3 church. They're not going to let you preach the gospel because they're government-owned. So, you know, this is... This is... Um, it's just really sad. Now, you can take this on. Now, let's go back because we read this a little bit last week. So let's pick up where we left off in Mark chapter... Uh, in, in Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Um, because this is what Jesus says there. He says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, euangelion, to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that shall not be, 
but he that believeth not shall be damned. Now, you have to ask yourself this, and you're listening, and you're in the mainstream church or you're in a messianic synagogue. We just literally looked at how the gospel and the doctrine of Christ are connected. And so if you say that either, well, Jesus says in this passage that uh, he didn't come to destroy the law or the prophets, but they were abolished when he died on the cross. If you believe that, according to Mark uh, chapter uh, five, uh, 16, you're, you're in danger of being damned. Um, if you are on the flip side and you say, well, Jesus did be not called rabbi, but what he really meant was don't be not called rabbi. Um, he, but he literally meant, he actually meant you could be called rabbi. If you're, uh, if you're listening and you believe that, yeah, you're in danger of being damned according to Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Because, and how do I know this? Because you can take this same thing once again and compare it to what Matthew said, who does not use the word gospel. And this is what he said. Matthew chapter 28, which is where we get our authority from Jesus. And verse 18 through 20, he says this. He says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All, and all means all, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, and that's where the mainstream church stops. However, it goes on, verse 19, um, or excuse me, verse 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I, Jesus, have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now, that goes back to what he said, what we talked about last week in John chapter 14. I will not leave you comfortless. But what did he say? He said he would send you the comforter, and the comforter would lead you into all truth. Now, later, we know that he would remind them of the sayings which Jesus said, John chapter 16. Now, 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 now answer me this. How can we teach people to observe all that Christ commanded us if we're teaching that a big part of what Christ commanded us is no longer valid? You can't. And it's either all or nothing. There is no in-between. That's what Paul said. When you teach people to observe some of what Christ commanded you, you're teaching a heteros gospel, a gospel that has broken the sequence of events, the pattern that Jesus laid out from the beginning all the way back to the book of Genesis. That's, that's just the cold, hard truth of the matter. And we are literally in our messianic synagogues and in our mainstream churches, both the, quote, Jew and Gentile are literally sending people on a path to hell, and it's only the grace of God that is going to keep them from going there because they're not going to get the unadulterated truth in these assemblies. So let's see. What do we got from here? Um... So now keep in mind, what did we talk about last week? Last week we talked about erasing, which was the word for peace that Paul talked about. Jesus told his disciples in Luke chapter 10, you know, if you go out and you, you say, peace be unto this house, but if, if, they, if they don't listen, let your peace return unto you. See, here's the thing. They say, um, if you read the entire article on what the word um, euangelion means, they say there is no reward for um for the gospel in the new testament and maybe not linguistically 
But theologically, there absolutely is a reward, and it's that salvific piece that we talked about that is connected with the Greek word erasing. And uh, because what happens is, is Jesus says, if you go in and you preach my doctrine and my gospel to them and they receive it, then peace, erasing, shall be on this house. But if not, let your peace return unto you, and I tell you, it will be better in the it will be better for Sodom in that day than it will for that town. And he even said, if Tyre and Sidon had heard this, that they would have repented. But the town that does not, it will be better for Tyre and Sidon in that day. Which, if you've read the prophets, you know that both Sodom and Gomorrah and Tyre and Sidon are absolutely just obliterated. They are, uh, they're going to be wiped off the face of the earth. But God said, Jesus said, that it will be better for them in that day than it will be for the town who denies the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Let that sink in. That, that, that should scare everybody who is listening to this that has not submitted to the doctrine of Christ. Because what does John tell us? If you don't have the doctrine of Christ, you do not have God. Now, 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 here's what I find interesting about this, because um, the ones who oppose Jesus' gospel, and um, basically they, they, the ones who oppose Jesus' gospel and conspired against him were the Pharisees, the scribes and the Pharisees, and they had a vested interest in a kingdom that was not the kingdom of God. Because what did Jesus say? He said, my kingdom is not of this earth, for if it was, my disciples would fight, would fight. right? That's what he said. But Jesus' kingdom is not of this earth. Now, let's take a look at euangelion and what it means in rabbinic thought. And this is absolutely incredible to me. Because last week we saw that erasing actually in rabbinic thought had a connection to the eschatological or the end times view of salvific peace, peace that was brought through salvation. It's not so with the, with, with the gospel. This is what it says, rabbinic Judaism. Judaism proved a great help in fixing the development of euangelistai. I'm going to destroy that word. It's amazing. When I'm not doing the show, I can pronounce it perfectly. It's so funny. Not that it needs to be pronounced perfectly. It just it messes with my OCD. Um, so, But anyway, it's fixing the development of euangelistai. Uh, but it does not seem to lead us much further with regard to the substantive. The, the rabbis certainly know the word besora, which here's what's interesting. If you read a Hebrew Roots Bible, they will change the Gospels to the besoras. There's no connection between the Hebrew and the Greek word there. And watch, I'll show you. I will prove it without the shadow of a doubt. They use it for good news, even without the addition um, which they're talking about the word basar, um, they use it without the addition sora, uh, 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 sova. Um, this uh, occasionally it may be used for sad news. If you look when it says while Jacob was still mourning for Deborah, he received the sad news basora that uh, his mother had died. The term is also used in the religious sense. There is no features, however, as compared with the Old Testament. And we can certainly find no echoes. This is what it says. We can certainly find no echoes of the use of Besora for the eschatological good news or the New Testament gospel. This is no accident. A new message is not expected with the dawn of God's kingdom. What will be proclaimed has been known from the time of, and I believe this is the Deutero-Isaiah, the kingdom 
uh, or the longing that it should be proclaimed. You know, um, the gospel of Isaiah, uh, the gospel according to Isaiah, you know, Isaiah chapter 53 through 57, where it talks about the Messiah. Um, this was known. Now, what's interesting is the rabbis have changed the interpretation, some of them, especially modern rabbis. Modern rabbis will tell you in a heartbeat that this isn't about the Messiah. This is about the remnant of Israel. But according to this, this was something that would have been known. The message, that's why I said the message is there if you know where to look for it. The gospel message throughout the entirety of Scripture, Old Testament to New Testament, is entirely consistent. It's been marred through false doctrine for so many years, though. So let's go on. It says a new message is not expected with the dawn of God's kingdom. Hence, the messenger and the act of proclamation are more important than the basura or the good news. So let's look at this. The messenger, um, the messenger and the act of proclamation are more important than the basura. Well, who's the messenger? Who was the messenger of the gospel in the gospels? John the Baptist and Jesus, and they sought to kill them both and did. That's a crazy thought when you stop to think about it. The rulers of the religious majority in the time of Jesus would have understood the meaning of this and actually sought to kill the messenger who proclaimed it. Why? Because they knew it pointed back to him and to a kingdom that they had no vested interest in. Now, because here's, here's what's interesting. Let me, let me read you something real quick about... Let me read you something real quick about the Pharisees, and we've got a whole episode on this that you can find. Um, but let's, let's look at this. So this is... Um, hold on, give me just a second. If you go to book two, or book three, chapter two, of the life and times of Jesus the Messiah, Alfred Edersham, who in his day, by the way, was the, um, the leading authority on all things Jewish. This is what he said about the Pharisees. And we're going to read it. This is a little long, so bear with me. It says, moreover, a measure like this would have been entirely outside. So basically, this is John 119 through 24, where the Sanhedrin sent a deputization or a deputation from Jerusalem to where John the Baptist was. And so it says, moreover, a measure like this would not have been entirely outside the recognized mode of procedure. The Sanhedrin did not and could not originate charges. It only investigated those brought before it. It is quite true that the judgment upon false prophets and religious seducers lay with it, and this is from Sanhedrin 1.5 of the Mishnah, but the, uh, the Baptists had not as yet said or done anything to lay him open to such an accusation, talking about the Baptist, John the Baptist. He had in no way infringed the law by word or deed, nor had he even claimed to be a prophet. If nevertheless, it seems most probably that the priests and Levites came from the Sanhedrin, who were, are led to the conclusion that this was an informal mission, rather privately arranged than publicly determined upon. Now, there's, there's a reason that for that. That's very important. Keep in mind that it was privately arranged. Um, and anybody who tells you that conspiracies aren't in the Bible, don't listen to them. They don't know what they're talking about. Um, it says, and with this, the character of the deputies agree. Priests and Levites, the colleagues of John the priest, would be selected for such an errand rather than leading rabbinic authorities. 
the presence of the latter would indeed have given to the move the movement an importance if not a sanction with which the sanhedrin could not have wished the other only other authority in jerusalem from which a deputation could have issued was the so-called council of the temple or the judicature of the priest or elders of the priesthood and you can find that, uh, that apparently he cites Yoma 50.5, which is also from the Mishnah and the Talmud, um, which consisted of the 14 chief officers of the temple. Um, now, here's what's interesting. He talks about this, but he says, um, he says, finally, it seems quite natural that such an informal inquiry set on foot uh, most probably by the Sanhedrist should have been entrusted exclusively to the Pharisaic party it is in no way would have interested the sadducees um but now here's what i want you to show because this secret arrangement now this is what he says he says um he says the object of the association was twofold the observe and strictest manner and according to traditional law all ordinances that because basically what he does is he goes into a little background of the pharisees so let's read this he says without entering on the principles and supposed practices of the fraternity which was what the pharisees were known as i find that interesting because freemasonry is also known as the fraternity and i'm going to show you there's a connection between rabbinic judaism which is the ancestral thought of Pharisaism and Freemasonry. But he says the objection of the association was twofold. The, observe, the observance, this is from Josephus, to observe in the, um, or that's who he cites here anyway, to observe in the strictest manner and according to traditional law all ordinances concerning Levitical purity and to be extremely punctilious in all connected with religious dues. So assemble, essentially, they were a closed order or a secret, a secret society that adhered to the strictest form of the law, as they put it. Or what really what they did was they created their loan all law of the law, which contradicted the law, as Jesus said. So um, I wanted to just go ahead and point that out. Um, the Pharisees, who were the ones that the scribes and Pharisees, um, you actually can look. One of the things he says, let me see if I can find it. It's right here. Um, he actually says this. It says, um, where is it? I think I put it. Um, give me just a second. Sorry, guys. There's a lot of information here. Um, it says, um, it is, however, erroneous to suppose either that their system represented traditionalism or that the scribes and Pharisees are convertible terms. So notice that's why. They put that the scribes and the Pharisees were not always the same thing. But what I find interesting is that the scri the Pharisees were involved in the um in this vested interest to um to 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 murder Jesus essentially. Now you can't murder somebody who's giving up their life willingly, but this is what they thought. I find that so interesting. Here they have this vested interest, and if you know anything about the rabbinic kingdom. You can check out, we did one, uh, uh, Liken unto Moses, on the, um, essentially, the temptation of Jesus. And what it shows is that the things that uh, the devil tempted Jesus with are actually 100% in line with rabbinic thought of what the Messiah would do. 
So they have a vested interest in the kingdom that will be ushered in through the Antichrist, which we have shown without a shadow of a doubt is connected to Freemasonry because Freemasonry believes that this Messiah is the new Hiram. So I find it no coincidence that Phariseeism was known as the fraternity. Now, let me grab my notes here because um, we've got some we've got some more interesting thoughts. Um, so let's look at some of the verses where this um, because it, it, I mean it, it doesn't hint at, there's no hinting at all. The Pharisees literally conspired to kill Jesus. Um, Matthew 12:14 says this. Matthew 12 and verse 14. Then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him how they might destroy him. The Pharisees, the fraternity, this closed order that took oaths to get into, um, literally sought how they could destroy him, him being Jesus. Uh, Mark chapter 3 verse 6 says this. Mark chapter 3 and verse 6. And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. So now we have this secret religious order meeting with the, pol the political leaders that were under Herod, the followers of Herod, and saw how they could destroy Jesus. Um, Luke 22, 2 says this. Luke 22 and verse 2. And the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. John chapter 5 verse 18 says this. And therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, which he actually didn't do, he broke the rabbinic Sabbath, and, uh, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Therefore, like we said, if you don't believe that Jesus came in the flesh, Jesus who said he was equal with God, if Jesus, God in the flesh, you are Antichrist. And so, um, John chapter 5, verse 37. Uh, that's not right. John chapter 8, verse 37. Um, says this. That uh, I speak that which I have seen in my Father... And ye do that which you have seen with your father. That's not right either. I don't know what I did, but there is a passage there. Uh, John chapter, uh, let's go to the next one. Um, John chapter 7 verse 1 says this. John chapter 7 verse 1. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry because the Jews sought to kill him. Now understand. Now, the part we just read you about the fraternity, the back there was that the Jews had sent a delegation. That delegation that Alfred Edersham said could have only come from the order of the Pharisees because it wouldn't have interested the Sadducees. So understand, John is using the term Jews, and he is using the term Jews to mean Pharisees. And what do we know about the Pharisees? They're part of the synagogue of Satan. They're, they are them who say they are Jews and are not. So... Um, you know, when he talks about Jews, he's not talking about ethnicity. He's talking about a religion. John understood the fact that the, the Jews denied Jesus, and therefore they were a different religion altogether. Um, but let's go on. John chapter 7, verse 19 says this. 
Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keepeth the law? Why go ye about to kill me? Even Jesus knew they were out to kill him. Um, of course he did. He's God in the flesh. Uh, uh, John chapter 10, verse 37, and that's probably what I messed up earlier. Um, John chapter 10, verse 37 says this. If I do not the work... Uh, 39, excuse me. I don't know how I messed that up. Therefore, they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hands. So there is... There is no doubt about the fa- about it. The, 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 there was these people who did not like the fact that Jesus proclaimed this gospel, this true gospel. Now, we talked last week about how in Acts chapter 15, it was a sect of them from the Pharisees that believed that said this. So the Pharisees even had their own infiltrators sent in that muddied the true gospel. And that is who Paul is talking about here, the ones who are perverting the gospel. Now, get this. Now, this is interesting. And you can't make this stuff up. The word there for pervert is, let me see, I've got it written down here in my word study New Testament. So the word for pervert in Galatians chapter uh, 1 is meta, metast, metaster, oh my gosh, metastrepho. There we go. I got it out. I'm tongue-tied tonight. But it literally means to turn across, i.e. to transmute or corrupt pervert. Now, what are the odds that we have this 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 satanic infiltration that is seeking to transmute the gospel? I don't believe in accidents. Um, but the way they're doing this, because if you look at the false religion, the false religion believes they can take the, uh, the body and the blood of Jesus, transmute them into actual flesh and blood, and ascend into godhood. Now, this is cr- closely related to Freemasonry, which we just showed um, has a, at least a linguistic connection with the Pharisees. All of this stuff is connected. Everything we have been talking about since, I'd, I'd easily have to say, CCR Weekly number one, because we've talked about the end times. All of this is connected. There is no accidents, um, you know, but, but get this. Let's, let's just put this aside. The point is, is that the Pharisees, the ones who conspired against Jesus and his good news, then therefore afterwards in the book of Acts sent in agents who proclaimed the name of Jesus, but then perverted the gospel. And you know, this is, um, this is, this is so fascinating because when you look at this, this is being used to pervert the gospel and the Christian faith, uh, Today, and this is uh, from the book Messi- Messianic Judaism is Not Christianity by Stan Telkin. And um, this is what he has to say because, um, let's see, let me get over here where I can find it. This is what he says about why Messianic synagogues. Basically, he says it's a problem that Messianic synagogues are doing their own thing. But then he turns right around and says, but really, it's your fault, Christianity, because you did this. And this is what he says. He says, um, he says, what gave birth to this movement? This is chapter 2, and this is page um, 36. He says, despite God's clear words about the Jewish people, the early, um, 
the early church fathers began to declare that he was finished with us. They began to declare Jews killed their Messiah. All of the promises God made to Israel now belong to the church. God hates the Jews and we should too. The only thing that awaits them are the curses of God. Now here's my problem with this is he does not he does not give a citation of who said this. Now, I would agree that uh, the Jews of that day killed their Messiah. I'm talking about the religious Jews, not the ethnic Jews. The Pharisees conspired to kill the Messiah. That is irrefutable. Um, uh, I would say, indeed, a lot of the promises that God made to Israel were made to the remnant of Israel and therefore do belong to the church because Romans 9 through 11 tells you that if you are a believer in Jesus, you're grafted into the cultivated olive tree. Now, what he does go on to say, and this is where I think, you know, if this is true, which I'm, I don't think it is, and I'll show you why in a minute. Um, when it talks about that we should hate the Jews, Paul actually says don't because how much easier would it be for God to graft them back in who were natural? There's nobody saying that I know of that is saying uh, the Jews killed their Messiah, so therefore you've got to be anti-Semitic. I would actually say that's an outright lie. There are those who say that, but they're not Christians, and that's what I'm going to show you. Now, what's interesting here is the first person that he talks about, he says, um, Malcolm Hay says, the violence of the language used by John Chrysostom in his homilies against the Jews has, ne has never been exceeded by any preacher whose sermons have been recorded. These homilies, moreover, were used for centuries in schools and seminaries where priests were taught to preach with St. John Chrysostom as their model, where priests were taught to hate with St. John Chrysostom as their model. And in the first homily, this is what he has, just this tiny little snippet, but this is what he said. John Chrysostom said this, Certainly in the time, it is the time for me to show that demons dwell in the synagogue, and not only in the place itself, but also in the souls of the Jews. Do you see that demons dwell in their souls, and that these demons are more dangerous than the ones of old? Now, that sounds really bad. If you're not familiar with the Bible, but what does the Bible say? The Bible says, I know of them who say they are Jews and are not, but are really of the synagogue of Satan. Paul says he is not a Jew who is one outward only. The Bible says the Jews conspired to kill him. I don't believe John Chrysostom was talking about the ethnic Jews. I believe he was talking about the religious leaders that in that day were saying, let them, basically talking about the Christians of the Nazarite heresies, have no place in the resurrection to come. They were cursing Christians. But nobody wants to talk about that side of it. The fact of the matter is, is that this... This gaslighting between Jews and non-Jews that we just read about in our news articles started as soon as Christ ascended into heaven. This is what he says from his next one. In the fourth homily against the Jews, Chrysostom said this, Today the Jews, who are more dangerous than any wolves, are bent on surrounding my sheep, so I must spar with them and fight with them so that no sheep of mine will fall victim to those wolves. So my question is, is, is this the synagogue, is this the ethnic Jews or the synagogue of Satan? My argument would be that it was on the synagogue of Satan. And yes, people did take that later out of context and use it to do horrible animosities. I don't think anybody would deny that. I'll show you what he says from John Luther and this, uh, or John Luther, Martin Luther, and 
And uh, I, I believe this one because Martin Luther was a militant person who would literally slaughter the people who did not agree with him. Same with John Calvin. They were both had so much animosity and hatred that I cannot in good faith, only the Father knows, but I would say based on their actions, they were in danger of not being regenerate. So in his eighth homily, or in his sixth homily, he said, You did slay Christ. You did lift violent hands against the master. You did spill his precious blood. That is why you have no chance for atonement, excuse, or defense. And I do believe there he's talking about the synagogue of Satan. You know, keep in mind, this is the same religion that wrote in the Talmud that Jesus was burning in hell in his own excrement. Uh, Not exactly the religion of the Bible now, is it? Now, of course, with Martin Luther, Martin Luther said this. Martin Luther, who, like I've said, was very, uh, had a lot of animosity towards his followers, said this. Let me see if I can find it. He said at first, he said, Perhaps I will attract some of the Jews to the Christian faith. For our fools, the popes, bishops, and sophists, and monks, the coarse blockheads, have until this time so treated the Jews that if I had been a Jew and had seen such idiots and blockheads ruling and teaching the Christian religion, I would rather have been a sow than a Christian. For they have dealt with the Jews as if they were dogs and not human beings. Now something happened, and later, and for all I know, this could be taken out of context, but this is what it says. What sort of, now, 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 let me clarify this. I think Stan Telkin took this out of context, too. But um, I could see why people would think that Martin Luther was the way he was, given how much animosity he had, but he said this of the ark in the synagogue. He said, what sort of ark is it that the Jews now have where we find no propitiatory, no table of the laws, no holy of holies, no veil, no high priest, no incense, no holocaust, which all holocaust means is it's a type of sacrifice. It's a burnt offering. Um, no sacrifice, none of the other things that made the ark of the old covenant solemn and august. It seems to me that the Ark of the Jews is no better off than these toy arks, which you can buy in the marketplace. In fact, it is much worse. Those little toy arks cannot hurt anybody who comes close to them. But the Ark of the Jews does not does does have uh, the Ark the Jews now have does great harm each to those who could come near it. So when you actually look at that, um, and if you're not familiar, Edersham. One of the things he talks about is that after the destruction of the temple, the rabbis actually completely changed their Passover. Um, and I believe there's somewhere else where he talks about how they changed the, um, the structure of the synagogue as well. So why wouldn't Martin Luther say it's dangerous? You're blaspheming God by doing things from the law according to the way which he told you not to do them. Those are a part of the Levitical system that waxed old. That's why God destroyed the temple. Because he didn't need it anymore. Jesus is the temple, and through Jesus, our body is the temple for the Holy Spirit. Our heart is the ark where the tablets are kept. That's why he said, I will write the law on your heart. By the way, I'm going to tell you a pet peeve of mine real quick. Go back and read Exodus chapter 20. Nowhere in Exodus chapter 20 does it say that the tablet stopped being engraved at the Ten Commandments. Because as soon as after that, it actually shows how the whole of the law was written on the tablets. And I'm not making that up. You can fact check me. Because that threw me for a loop the first time I ever read Exodus. Nowhere does it say it stopped at the Ten Commandments. But yet, that's what everybody wants to teach. That's why he says, I will write the law on your heart. By the way, 
um, one of the things that is not in the Ten Commandments that is written on that stone, because it's immediately after the Ten Commandments, is thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. So, um, yeah, you know, our heart, when we understand that we're the temple, our heart is the Ark of the Covenant that holds the law of God. That's why, I, the, you know, at least where I see that um, it's been completely taken out of context now, but I could actually see where you invite Jesus into your heart is because that's where that was the whole, it literally is the holy of holies um, in a metaphorical sense when you understand the law was written on your heart. So um, there is, there, there, there is um, that, and he goes on and he talks about so many other things. Now, this guy, I want to say this, Stan Telkin is passed on now, but he was born in 1924, so he did have to face some, some anti-Semitism. So I do want to display grace here, but the fact of the matter is, is that language like this, what, regardless of what he meant it for, the first thing that I thought when I read this was, wow, this, this right here causes more division between um, between so-called Jewish believers and so-called Gentile believers because this is one of the things that Paul argues against. He says there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither male nor female because there was a societal structure where women were considered you know, subservient, um, which, by the way, is not a biblical teaching. A biblical teaching, uh, Matthew Henry said that um, God did not take... Um, did not take um, the female from, I can't remember exactly how, but he basically said it didn't take him from the head so she could trample on him, nor from his feet that she could be trampled on, essentially. But he said, basically, this is the part I do remember. He said he took them from the ribs so that way they could walk side by side. Um, there is no, that's why Paul says there is neither male nor female. He's going back to the way that it was intended to be. Um, so this is... This is uh, just, I mean, the division that is still being sown inside the church is just absolutely incredible because everything, and now now get this, this is interesting. Everybody in the church today, the so-called theologically conservative church, um, we've talked about it, everybody wants to talk about how identity politics is bad, but nobody wants to address the, um, the Jewish supremacy of Zionism. I have no problem. I love, I love... I've got friends that are Jewish, um, and there's a possibility that um, I haven't been able to find out for sure because, well, frankly, it doesn't matter. But um, I come from a family of fishers, which is a um, a Yiddish word, Yiddish being part of the Ashkenazi Jews, um, which there's some interesting stuff there. But the, my, my point is this. I, I, I don't have any ill will. I say these things because I want the the descendants of Judah— to be welcomed back into the fold because I believe what Paul said in Romans 9 through 11. I believe it's so much easier for them to be grafted back in because they're of the natural tree. But the Bible makes it very clear your bloodline does not matter. And so this is where we're going to get into the last part of this. And um, I have to say, this wasn't intentional, but earlier in a video, um, I was asked a question about the serpent seed doctrine. And that actually feeds perfectly into this, because uh, the uh, uh, Genesis three fifteen was uh, what is known as the Proto Evangelion. Um, and let's read that real quick. Genesis chapter three fifteen says this. Um, let's see. Let me find it. I'm starting to lose my voice, so I'm not going to be able to go much longer. 
But I do want to wrap this up by showing where this incursion of perverted gospels comes from. By the way, Serpent Seed is, um, we talked about this um, in CCR Weekly number 10. It is a part of the alchemistic theosophy that can be traced back to the Kabbalah, which is Jewish mysticism. So, look at this. Um, Genesis 3.15 says this, um, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And this is where, if you understand what this means uh, in the full mystery of the gospel revealed, and I mean mystery in the sense that it's something that can only be revealed through divine revelation, not esoteric mystery, um, this is the wheat and the tares. That's what this is. But let me see if I can pull it up here. Um, give me just a second. I'm going to attempt to pull it up on the computer. If there is a basically an online Jewish library known as Safaria. Let me see if I can get it up. Um, Safaria, I believe it is .org. We're going to head over there real quick. Oh, that's not a real website. Whoops. Let's see. Yeah, let's try that. That's a real website. Um, put an extra R in there by accident. Um, so let me screen share over here so that way you guys can see it. Because I want to show you that I'm not making this up. Once again, we have another connection between Freemasonry and Phariseeism. So if you, and I don't recommend uh, checking this site out unless you're grounded in Scripture. Because they've got everything up here. They've got Tanakh, they've got Mishnah, they've got Talmud, Midrash, Halakha, and Kabbalah. Now, Kabbalah, we're going to get into that next week um, and show you how that was even being pitched. Paul prophesies of things from, uh, from Kabbalah as well. But um, we're going to look at, um, next week we're going to look at mystic Judaism and Islam um, in verse 8. But um, we're going to come down here to the Targums because this is where this is where uh, certain people and I'll I'll just say his name. I'm going to Amar. I'm going to tell you this: if you do not know who Zen Garcia is, do not bother looking him up. He is a heretic, and he should be marked and avoided. He is dangerous, and his teaching is dangerous. He seems like a really nice guy, but his message is dangerous. Um, he believes in a female Holy Spirit, and he believes that this female Holy Spirit is named Barbello, which is the Gnostic, the, essentially the highest not, uh, goddess of Gnosticism, very similar to Sophia. But he is a proponent of the serpent seed doctrine, and he'll take you to the Targum, which says this in Genesis chapter 4. It says, um, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, um, what in the world has just happened? Let me get back over here. So, um, oh, I'm in the wrong. I'm in the wrong Targum. Whoops. Um, sorry, guys. Um, let's see. So we're gonna go over here. I picked, clicked on Targum Jerusalem. We need Targum. Um, we need Targum Jonathan. We're gonna look at Jonathan's Targum on Genesis. Go to Genesis chapter four and verse one says, "And Adam knew Hava, his wife, who desired the angel." And she conceived and bare Cain, saying, I have acquired a man, the angel of the Lord. And some will actually say, I acquired a man from the angel of the Lord. Now, if anybody, if you hear, I don't care who it is. If you hear anybody 
say this, and I would say anybody who is associated with people who say this, don't have anything to do with them. If you see somebody who fellowships with somebody who says this, that's bad company. Stay away from them. The Bible says that, uh, that, um, that bad company corrupts good character. Genesis, on the other hand, Genesis 4, verse 1, in the preserved King James Bible says this, And Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Adam knew his wife. The Bible is very clear that Ag, that Cain is the son of Adam. And uh, the question I was asked earlier was, um, why does the Bible not list uh, Cain in the lineage of Adam? And, and this is, and it didn't hit me until I was asked the question. And this was only, only God could have shown me this. But just like I was reading, um, I think I've got it over here somewhere. Um, over here, I have Paradise Lost by John Milton. And I was reading in it, I love poetry. And in that, he talks about how the angels don't have names anymore. Because they lost them after their rebellion. Um, and I got to thinking about it. The angels, we don't know the true names of angels because they lost their names. Their names were written out, written out, blotted out of the book of life. And it's the same with Cain. Cain killed his brother and was banished into the land of Nod. Nod means wandering. And basically he was... Um, he was um, just like you see in the Torah, when it says that um, they're put outside the camp, he was placed outside of the fellowship of God. Cain is not listed in the lineage of Adam because Cain's name was blotted out of the book of life. And so, uh, and we've, we've shown Cain built a city and named it Enoch after his son. Cain is the one who started the spurious religion that masonry is done for. Cain was the original archetype of the Antichrist. And so people who are propagating this, what they're doing is they're teaching you a doctrine that is based purely on bloodlines. The Jesus they teach came, came to restore the purity of the bloodlines. It does matter what bloodline you come from in Gnosticism. It does matter what bloodline you come from in the Hebrew roots because that's why you're doing it. Now, they say you can cross over, but you have to believe what they believe. I'm telling you, stay away from this stuff. This stuff is dangerous. Um, this is this is Gnosticism at its core. This is what people like Madame Helena Blavatsky teach. Madame Helena Blavatsky believes that the serpent and God are one and the same. Eliphas Levi believes that um, he literally calls uh, Satan, this God, being bad. He believes in the seal of Solomon, the two triangles inverted on one another, literally, according to esoteric theology, means the good Jehovah and the bad Jehovah. It's a dualistic thought. It's Jewishness. Or Jew it's Gnosticism. But I'm going to show you that Gnosticism is, is, it originated from Judaism. And, and I just proved it right here. This is the Targums. Don't, don't read the Targums. By the way, let me just, let me just say this. And people, what's what's so bad about the Targums? It just means translation. I've heard somebody that was um, friends with um, with Zen Garcia say that. Did you know that the King James translators had access to the Targums when they translated the King James, and they did not use them? 
Why? Because the Targums were written by Babylonian mystics who later were put into the rabbinic Bibles by people that denied the deity of Christ, which we know is Antichrist. The King James translators were not stupid, regardless of what people think. The King James translators had access to Daniel Bomberg's rabbinic Bible, which is actually more than just a Bible. It's made up of um, rabbinic commentaries and the Targums. But yet they threw away everything except the books of the Bible. Now, why is that if they had access to them and the Targum just means translation? Because the Targum is not just a translation of the Bible. It is the Bible placed in with rabbinic interpretations of the Bible. And it should not be in the in the 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 text that somebody who claims to be a follower of Jesus is using to gain insight. It's not. The targums are trash, and they should be. We we as believers and messengers of the gospel should not be afraid to say that. And, and I'll be personal. I, I personally don't know anybody who is. I know people who won't say the name that I mentioned because they don't want people looking into that person, and I respect that. I wouldn't have mentioned it myself except for the fact that there's no way you can get around around it talking about what we're talking about because um, Zen Garcia literally wrote a whole book on this subject. Um, but, you know, this is, I mean, this is not something that Christians should be be talking about. So this is just, this is out of the Jewish Encyclopedia. We're going to read this. We are coming up on an hour and 40 minutes, so we're going to start wrapping up. Jewish Gnosticism unquestionably antedates Christianity for biblical exegesis. Now, Jewish biblical exegesis is the parties method. Um, people like 119 Ministries teach this. Stay away from them. That's dangerous. I, I will actually mark um, uh, 119 Ministries as well um, because they teach the parties method, which is Jewish Gnosticism. Uh, stay away from them as well. They've they've got they've got a they've got a false gospel as well. Um, they put too much Jewishness in there, and the gospel is not Jewishness. There is the Jesus was Jewish, but the gospel was not. The gospel talked about the origins of the Bible, which are from Jesus, not from Judaism. Um, anyway. For biblical exegesis has already reached an age of 500 years by the first century CE. Judaism had been, been in close contact with Babylonian Persian ideas for at least that length of time and for nearly as long a period with Hellenistic ideas. Magic also, which as we will show further on, we're not going to look at that, um, was not an unimportant part of the doctrines and manifestations of Gnosticism largely occupied Jewish thinkers. There is, a general, there is in general no circle of ideas to which elements of Gnosticism have not been traced and with which the Jews were not acquainted. It is a noteworthy fact that the heads of Gnostic schools and founders of Gnostic systems are designated as Jews, by the church fathers. Judaism is very proud of this. Older versions actually will tell you right out that these schools were started by Jews. Um, but it says some derive all heresies, including those of Gnosticism, from Judaism. Hegesippus in Eusebius, um, his, his history of the, the church, and that is out of volume 422, um, it says, note, it must further be noted that Hebrew words and names of God provided the skeleton for several Gnostic systems. Um, 
people like Eliphas Levi, um, Albert Pike, and Helena Blavatsky teach these things as well. Um, that's why they say that the everything goes back to the key to understanding um, esotericism and theos- theos- theosophical thought and Masonic thought is the Kabbalah. Um, it must further be noted, or Christians or Jews converted from paganism would have used as the foundation of their system terms borrowed from the Greek or Syrian translations of the Bible. This proves at least that the principal elements of Gnosticism were derived from Jewish speculation, while it does not preclude the possibility of new wine having been poured into old bottles. Now, if you want to know what really the new wineskins or the new bottles means you can check out our episode that Sarah and I did on that with T in Scripture with Trey and Sarah. You can find it right here on our YouTube channel um, because that, that ain't what that means. Um, but look, that that is that. There is, without a doubt, even the Jewish encyclopedia admits that Gnosticism comes from Jewish thought. Now check this out. I want to show you this as well. Oh, come on, hurry up. This is Finding Freemasons in Jerusalem. This was written on July 10, 2013. On April 2nd, in the spring of 2008, dozens of men from all over the corners of the globe wearing festive ceremonial robes and serious expressions marched towards a dark opening under the wall of the old city of Jerusalem. Their footsteps echoed in the dark shadows of, a, of the huge cavern, the largest man-made cave in Israel, adding a further dimension to the mysterious atmosphere. 140 years after the first ceremony held by the members of the order at this ancient site almost 40 years since the last such ritual was held, the Freemasons returned to Zedekiah's cave to consecrate the Grand Master of the Jerusalem Lodge. Jerusalem contains a fair number of sites and figures that represent cornerstones in the Masonic universe. Although the Order's official documented lodges have only existed since the 18th century, the Freemasons consider King Solomon to be the founder of the Order and its Grand Master, and actually some of them actually consider Nimrod to be the founder, and they will take the esoteric thought all the way back to Cain. Um, and its first grandmaster. Central among Solomon's mythic qualifications for this role was the building of the first temple in Jerusalem with the aid of Hiram of Tyre, Hiram Abiff, the artisan, not the Phoenician king, um, with Hiram playing a major part in the Masonic um, rites as well. Among the artifacts that Hiram made for Solomon's temple were two magnificent pillars known as Boaz and Jachin, 1 Kings 7. These two columns are paramount symbols in Masonic lore and are featured in Masonic lodges alongside a third pillar, which recognizes the lodge's grand master. Now, see, here's what's interesting, because we've, told, we've looked and we've showed you the quotes out of David and Donna's book where they quote Albert Pike as saying that these, these pillars, Jachin and Boaz, represent the male and female aspects of God. All of this stuff is connected. Um, now check this out because I'm going to show you this. This is modern day Jerusalem. And what this is right here, let me see if I can open this up. No, that's not what I wanted. Whoops. There we go. No. Um... Anyway, um, if you guys can see this over here, this is the Freemason altar in Israel. And what we have are 
We have an inscription. We have the square and the compass, which also represents the uh, male and female duality of God. But also we have here the pillars of Jacob and Boaz. Freemasonry is in is 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 just impregnated in the Zionist government of Israel to the point where their parliament hall. And let's see if we can search that real quick. Israeli Parliament building. Let's see what we find here. Um, where is it? Maybe it's not the one in Jerusalem. Let's see. Yeah, there it is. Supreme Court, that's what it is. So this is the Supreme Court building, and guess what this is? This is a pyramid, which we've already shown you is what they believe the temple of uh, of God is in Freemasonry. It represents the mind. The master mason will ascend to a higher plane of existence. He will, a.k.a., declare himself to be all above all that is called God and will be the capstone on this pyramid. This is... This is just endowed, so check this one out. Look at this. You can actually see the capstone on this one right here. And this is endowed. I mean, there's just it's impregnated in the Zionist movements of Israel. Um, and there is connections between what I showed you, Freemasonry being the fraternity and um, uh, the Pharisee, Pharisaic uh, order being called the fraternity. Um, you just you can't make this stuff up. Now, we were warned that stuff like this would happen, and this is what the Apostle Jude had to say. And we're going to read Jude, what Jude and Peter have to say. There's tons of other places that talk about teacher, false teachers coming in, but we're just going to focus on these two because they tie back to Noah and where this spurious religion uh, started. So Jude says this. He said, Beloved, I will, I, when I gave you all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort ye that ye earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who be, were before of old ordained to this condemnation that is not... That is not double predestination, but rather this was that esoteric thought and very even possibly Rephaim that were reanimated. I'm not saying that is the case. I'm saying that it could be. Um, they were uh, to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God, uh, Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed them that believed not, and the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their habitation, their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day, even as Sodom and Gomorrah, and the cities about with them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Um, let's look at Second Peter chapter 2, which says this. 
Second Peter chapter 2. But there were false prophets among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom they shall be evil spoken of. The way of truth, excuse me, shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not. And their damnation slumbereth not. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those after that should live ungodly that ties into what jesus told them when they went out you know it should be better for sodom and more in that day than the cities who accept not what you preach so let's go back over here and we're going to close with the doctrine of christ we're going to read the parable of the wheat and the tares and if you will turn to matthew chapter 13 where we're going to close out because this shows the only two ways there's either the gospel or there's satan's way that is it there is no in between there is entirely the unadulterated gospel of christ and his doctrine or there is the way of satan choose ye this day whom ye will serve but as for me and my house we will serve the lord um matthew chapter 13 and another parable he put forth unto them saying the kingdom of God is, let me switch this back over, um, and you'll have to forgive the static. One of my lights is overheating and just went out. Um, but this is what he says. And the parable, another parable he put forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? And he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest and the time of harvest. I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, if you come to verse 36, Jesus, then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house and his disciples came unto him saying, declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. And he answered and said unto him, he that soweth the seed, the good seed is the son of man. Jesus is the messenger of the euangelion, the good news. That's the seed. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. This is not a bloodline problem. You are either of the seed of the woman through the blood of Christ. Heirs, uh, you are the seed of Abraham and heirs according to the promise because Jesus came through the woman, Mary. And um, we also have... Um, you have the seed of Satan, not being Cain, but those who do not believe the gospel of Christ. 
And therefore, the, it says, um, the enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels, and therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire. So shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels and shall gather out of his kingdom all the things that offend and them which do iniquity, lawlessness, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire, and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Revelation 14 shows you a picture of what is to come for those who do not accept the true gospel and doctrine of Christ. Revelation chapter 14. And um, this is verse 14. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one that sat likened unto the Son of Man, having on him a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust, thy sickle, thrust in thy sickle, and reap. For the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, also having a, he also having a sharp sickle. Another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress even unto the horse's bridle by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. The day of the harvest is close at hand because you can look and easily see the dividing of the wheat and the tare. Sarah and I were just listening. The band Casting Crowns used to annoy us so bad. Their music was just getting to the point where it was so cookie cutter, but I don't know what it is, and you need to pray for them because they're starting to get a glimpse. They just released a song yesterday, called, or uh, earlier this week, called Second Opinions. And it is all about how we need to close the book of Second Opinions, which is where this false, these false gospels are coming from. They talk about how the church says to follow your heart, but the heart's been known to lead. He said, but here's the question, is, uh, you know, is, that, is that God or in, is that your heart or indigestion? Because the heart's been known to lead a fool astray. And we were just laughing and rolling they talked about a song, they don't want to leave a legacy, only Jesus. I mean, there's just, God is God is to the point where he can do great work through them. So pray for them because they're starting to wake up to the lies of the modern seeker-friendly movement. And if we pray for them diligently, maybe they'll, I don't know where they're at theologically, but maybe they'll, you know, they're, they're, they're looking like they're leaning more to the side of the wheat, at least to me. And um, you can see it. There's been people that were instrumental in my life that for the remainders of their lives were pairing up with horrible people that were teaching some of the doctrines we were talking about. So make sure that you pray for these people that you're noticing because the, the wheat and the tares are being divided. That was just my thoughts. Maybe you disagree with, with that, and that's fine. But as far as what's happening with, um, with I think that's one of my children banging on the door. Um, no, that, that was a grown one. Was it? Okay. <laughs> oh, Susanna. Um, but, uh, um, but basically, um, you know, there's no denying it now. People are either going to teach true doctrine 
and they're going to line up with the Bible or they're going to line up with false doctrine. That's why I say if you see people that seem to be leaning toward, more towards one side or the other, pray for them. As far as I can tell, Casting Crown seems to be lining up with more with the wheats with some of the things they're saying in their songs and how they're standing against the modern evangelical machine. Um, I see the same thing with some of the Calvinistic uh, uh, um, uh, uh, ministries we've talked about. Pray for them. Pray for these people that are at least seeking for the Bible and its doctrine because you're either going to line up with Jesus and his doctrine or you're going to line up with the, the wicked one and his. So that's what I got for you tonight, guys. Um, that, that, that's, that is Galatians 1, 6, and 7. You know, it's not, not anything like we've seen. Um, not like we've seen uh, in churches. I've never seen anybody tr- preach satisfactory from the book of Galatians. Um, and I really felt a impression that that it's time to go through the book of Galatians. So let's check out let's check out the uh, the chat. Annie, Annie, I didn't even see you in the chat. I haven't been paying attention. I'm sorry. Thank you so much, guys. You can see it right above. Where's it at? Right there. Shake and Wake Radio. Check out shakeandwakeradio.com. Annie has done some wonderful, wonderful work over there. I've got it. Um, I, I thoroughly enjoy listening to the, the hosts over there are just fantastic. And and despite all the technical difficulties that I know you struggle with, Annie, lately when I've been listening to it, it has been absolutely flawless. Guys, make sure you show some love and support to Annie over at Shake and Wake Radio. So let's check it out. Um... Thank you. Thank you guys so much. I, all glory to the Father for that. That was... That was... Um, basically, that was what I needed to hear. So I'm glad it's what... I'm glad it's what you guys needed to hear as well. So... So... Let's see. Um, but... I just want to thank you guys for everything y'all do. Look, look, we can't do this without you. It is through your prayers and your support of being here. Like, for instance, this chat is such an encouragement to me because I'm telling you, I have days where I just, I get so stressed out by other things. I don't know how I'm going to put the time into this that I need, not only to study to bring you guys something, but for myself, because I don't want to bring you guys something that wouldn't be good for me. So, um, but... We all got we all got work to do for Jesus. Yes, this is. Oh, I got gotcha. you. I was I was wondering who that was. So, um, but um, guys, thank you, thank you so much. I'm I'm glad y'all. I'm glad this was a blessing to you. I'm I'm telling you, I've like I said, I'm doing this because I've never seen anybody do a satisfactory job of breaking down this and i gotta say i was nervous because there's no way i could break this down everything that is happening is god working this is god working i I, i'm not capable of this so and if you guys watched the video earlier if you haven't seen the 33.3 news that that happened earlier you need to watch it because you'll see what i mean because there and there i had to repent of where i crossed the line and broke one of the 10 commandments in a ccr weekly so i just want to thank you guys Thank you guys so much um, for everything. Thank you for listening. 
Thank you. Um, please, if you haven't, make sure you subscribe to our email list on coursecorrectionradio.com because I try to upload at least show notes or things to that. Not only that, but we, we put out articles for the times for things that we don't have time to deal with. I try to put up there in a separate thing. So I think that that is going to be it. At this point, I'm starting to ramble, and I promised my kids that we would have a dance party after this. So we're going to go have a dance party, and I think my five-year-old took a grocery bag and filled it with, like, fruit and stuff, and she wants to have what she calls a pinata. So we're going to go We're gonna go play. So, um, But thank you guys. I hope you guys have a wonderful night. Be blessed. If you are in the south like I am and there is any type of inclement weather such as snow, rain, or ice, be safe. We will see you all uh, back here for CCR Weekly next week, 5 p.m. Y'all take care. Y'all go check out Breaking Babylon. I'll catch y'all later.